Welcome back. It is Sprouting Joy Podcast, and I'm your host, Alize Robinson. This is week two of our Romans Bible study. I'm so excited. A lot of you guys gave me a lot of good feedback on the last one. There was a lot of interaction, a lot of downloads on the Bible study. So I'm just really grateful that uh, people are actually listening and, and more so enjoying it following along and just listening to this on their own time so let's just hop right into today's episode so we ended in uh, romans 4 so we're going to pick up on 5 and we're going to read until 9 i believe it is let's see 5 6 7 8 excuse me we're going to finish on 8 so we're reading 5 through 8 today Let's start. Title for chapter 5 says, Peace and Hope. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into into this grace in which we now stand. So, in this um, very short sentence here, he's just referencing everything that he talked about in Romans 1 through 4. So if you, haven't, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I encourage you to because it gives you a lot of background on how we got to this point. So he goes, he sends a, a letter to the Roman church telling them he wants to go, talking about God's judgment. And then he talks about the Jews and how you no longer have to follow the law, nor do you have to be a Jew. Well, not follow the law, but you're not controlled, you're not constricted by the law in order to have a relationship with God because uh, before you had to either like 100% abide by the law or be Jewish or both in order to um, have any type of relationship with God. So now he's saying, listen, like all you need to do is have faith. Um, You know, we have been, we have been made new. Everyone has a chance, both Gentile and Jew. As long as you have faith, then you'll be righteous through it. He talked about Abraham's story. So just, you know, go read into that. Uh, Watch the last episode. That way you can be all caught up. But here we're talking about the peace and the hope that we get once we have faith. So when we have faith in Jesus, we're justified in that faith to receive the peace and the grace and access to God that is promised to us when we believe in Jesus Christ. Next verse says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. So he's saying we can boast in the hope of the glory of God because everyone gets the same opportunity. Nobody can boast more than another person because nobody has nobody is better in that sense. Everybody is the same in the eyes of God. Therefore, what we can boast in is that we have hope in the glory of God that we will be saved and that by faith we receive righteousness. And that he's also telling us like don't don't be worried about your sufferings. Like there's glory in those because when they're suffering, we get perseverance. And when we get perseverance, we get character. And we get character, we get hope. So he's saying everything is by God's design, even when, you know, you are going through hard times. Like God has everything uh, to a plan. He has it all produced in a very specific way. Verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when Jesus left this earth, he left us with uh, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is part of the, th- the, the trinity of 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of like what gives us um, a conscience, but also what makes us sensitive to what we read, what we hear in church, the things that Jesus is trying to talk to us about. That's what that's what is tugs on your heart when you feel certain things, when you're like, oh, I feel like a certain way. Like, I feel like, a, you know, God's trying to talk to me. Like, that's that's what's tugging on your heart. It's not your spirit alone because your spirit cannot reach Jesus. We are given the spirit, the Holy Spirit as our guide on this earth since Jesus is not physically here on earth with us, but he's in heaven. It's kind of like our guide, our our conscience per se to watch over us and take care of us and, and to lead us in the right direction always. So that, yeah, we're given the Holy Spirit. It says in verse six, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So he's talking, obviously, about Jesus's resurrection, or excuse me, Jesus's death on the cross. He died for everybody. Said why we were still powerless because before Jesus, we we had no shot. We had no communication with God. The only way, you, like I was saying, the only way you can communicate with God was through a high priest. So if we didn't have a connection to a high priest or we weren't Jewish, like that was it. That was over for us. So while we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. So like if you're, you know, going to save a, a pedestrian or just being a good Samaritan and in the, in the aspect that it would cost your life, like sometimes you don't want to lay your life down for another person. But that's exactly why it's so important that Christ did die on the cross for us because in verse 8 it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While you were still sinners, Christ died for us. He wasn't waiting for us to be perfect. He wasn't waiting for us to clean up our act. He wasn't waiting for us to get it together in order for him to send his son to die on the cross for us. He sent his son while we were still in the muck of it all, completely 100% dirty. We did not want anything to do with Jesus. We were completely just... I mean, at that time, people were rooting for him to be uh, uh, crucified. And obviously, many of us, all of us, actually, I shouldn't say many of us, none of us were alive during this time. But just the flesh and, and the, sinlin the sinliness, I guess, I don't know if that's a word, the sin of our flesh and the evilness of the desires that our flesh gives us because of who we are as humans, um, can pretty much justify that we probably would have had the same reaction. Uh, very few of us would have wanted to save him or been on his side. And even then, you could have died for standing up for him. So it probably would have been a very small percentage of people that would want him to stay alive at that time. So that's why he says, well, um, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But also by default, uh, just by human nature, we are sinners because we are born from humans who are also sinners. So, you know, it is what it is. Verse 9 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So, we're saved by God's wrath because we were justified by the blood of Jesus, who is God, essentially. Since the Holy Trinity, they're three in one. So, because by his blood we were protected, we were saved, 
we're going to be saved from God's wrath as well. Yes, we will reap consequences to our actions, but he'll not completely wipe us out like he has before in Noah's time and with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Like that's not going to happen to us because we are saved by the blood of Jesus. We have been covered. We have been protected. And it doesn't, it doesn't wipe away the fact that we're sinners. We're still sinners, but we are made new and we're saved. We're made righteous by our faith and we're, we're made clean, even though you can fall and, and still make mistakes um, on a daily basis. We're still made new in the eyes of God. We have been reconciled. Uh, there was a sacrifice uh, that was, uh, there was a sacrifice that took place for our sins. And so in God's eyes, as a holy and righteous one, he sees us as uh, redeemed. So going into verse 10, for if we, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Just exactly what I was talking about. So the next title says death through Adam, life through Christ. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through one sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So in this, he's referencing the fact that there was only two people on this earth when sin came into this world. And it was by, he says one man, but obviously by Adam and Eve, that sin came into this world and therefore death came to all people because if they were both sinners and they uh, reproduced and they had children those children were going to carry the sins of their parents and so on and so forth to exactly where we are at right now 13 says to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law nevertheless death reigned from the time of adam to the time of moses uh, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did adam who is a pattern of the one to come <clears throat> so even if you didn't do anything inherently wrong per se you still were sinful by nature because of who our ancestors were 15 says but the gift is not like the trespass the gift being god's grace the trespass being the sin of adam and eve which leads to condemnation for if many died by the trespass of the one man how much more did god's grace did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So he's saying just as sin and, and condemnation came from one man, it's even more so an abundance of a man more powerful than just a mere human giving, like, uh, reversing the effects of that and making us new and redeeming us uh, by grace just, just, with the, just with his blood. 16 says nor can the gift of god be compared with the result of one man's sin the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification that's such a cool verse because even though we we make so many mistakes and, and on top of that not just us but everybody around the world just because of jesus we are justified and we are made new <clears throat> so by the sin by one sin of one man, we're at where we are at right now. But on the same, 
on the flip side of the other coin by by the the death and resurrection of one man every single mistake we have ever made is wiped away washed clean we are made new we are like a fresh lamb in his eyes because of the blood and the sacrifice of one man so it's just showing the the extent in which each each man in this situation adam and and jesus have power and it's just showing that jesus is more powerful than sometimes we can even imagine or process i think we just you know we think oh yeah uh, you know he rose and died he died and rose on the cross and and because we didn't witness it or because we weren't closer to that time period when it happened sometimes it can feel more like a distant story than than a reality and and a constant truth that is keeping us alive but and just reading that sentence i think it kind of um helps encapsulate the 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 greatness of the, the intensity of the situation and of the sacrifice itself i think that's really cool that we're able to um to have that and and be saved by that so then uh verse 18 wait excuse me verse 17 no we already talked about that where am i oh no yes verse 17 sorry about that for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man how much more will those who receive god's abundance abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the the one man jesus christ and that's where we're at today Verse 18 says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. That's such a cool verse. The law will be brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So so that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. One trespass resulted in condemnation for all, yet one death resulted in life and justification for all. They're completely polar opposites. So I want to touch base with the Bible study. So... You can get your copy of your Bible study out so you can follow me here. The effects of Adam's sin. We're on week two. It reads, Adam's sin brought condemnation on us. Christ's death brought justification for us. We have access to God through Jesus anytime our righteousness is, our righteousness is based on faith. When our righteousness is based on, based on keeping the law, Access to the Father depends on our works. As hard as they are, trials that come into our life are meant to promote spiritual growth. God only allows trials that will mold us. Nothing that He allows into our life, whether good or bad, is not without reason. Everything has a purpose, regardless of whether it's difficult or easy. That's why in verse 3 it says, Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the reason it says that when we we try to base our righteousness on keeping the law, so um, basically like, 
if you were to be like, oh, well, I'm saved today because I didn't, I didn't um, have premarital sex or I'm saved today because I don't have homosexual desires or I'm saved today because whatever it is, insert there, um, that is basing your righteousness on law. So the moment that you fail, the moment that you make a mistake, therefore your, your faith and your righteousness, your access to, to God is revoked. Because now you have failed in his eyes. You're no longer good. And that's why we weren't saved for our works. But we were saved simply by who Jesus was and by his grace. Therefore, when we have faith, no matter how many times we fall, if we have faith in Jesus Christ and we claim him to be our Lord and Savior and we believe that what he did on the cross saved us from all of our sins, we will forever have access to God because of our faith. Not because of how well we are obedient to what the 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 laws of the bible say but because of faith because in reality no matter how many times we try we're going to fall we're going to sin we're going to mess up and sometimes it just we if we forget that even though we mess up even though we mess up we're still forgiven and even I, you know, I, I do this sometimes where my mentality is like, oh, I haven't, you know, made any major mistakes recently. So I feel like I'm quote unquote doing good or I'm being a good Christian. But then something happens. I make a mistake. I hurt somebody's feeling something, whatever, whatever it is, something happens. And then I immediately feel guilty for it. Why? Because I was basing my access to, to the father based on my works and based on keeping the law, not based on faith. And that's something that we all have to learn and, and work on daily. So chapter 6, dead to sin, alive in Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into, Jesus, into Christ Jesus were, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism and death into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So he's saying that for all of those that are like, oh, well, if if there's always grace in every in every aspect of sin, we might as well just keep on doing what we want because we're going to be forgiven for it anyways. And he's like, that's not the case at all. Because just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we're made new. And so we cannot be living in something of old if we're made new when we're baptized in Jesus Christ. Because in the Bible, it says when we give our life to Jesus, um, we are given a new spirit, a new mind, a new body. You know, and in God's eyes, we're a completely different person. We are no longer who we were before because that version of ourselves has died and he has made us new. So if we try to... Uh, do the things of old it's not going to it's not going to mesh like it did before because we are completely new so he's saying just don't even try it at all don't don't intentionally live in sin you know you can intentionally live in sin and you can unintentionally live in sin intentionally living in sin is knowing that what you're doing is wrong and doing it anyway unintentionally living in sin is not realizing that you're doing something wrong until it is brought up to you or until Jesus reveals it to you, until he heals that part of you. Verse 5, verse five we're in chapter 6, says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, being hung on a cross, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Three days later he rose from the dead, he was made new. Well, you know, 
he died to his flesh and he rose in spirit. Uh, for we know that our old self was crucified with him because he died for our sin. So that the body ruled by sin that our old self, wait, sorry, so that the, the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So no longer after being saved can we claim that we are still slaves to the sin of before. That is just a lie from the enemy. So yes, we we can struggle with sin. That is something that happens. You're not instantly um, like from saving, uh, uh, giving your life to Jesus to then having a... Um, to then having been made a new person, you don't get that same, uh, you don't like just change overnight. It's not like you are, let's say, um, an addict to something and then you wake up the next day because you gave your life to Christ and all of a sudden everything goes away. Like that's not, that's not how it happens. <clears throat> Excuse me. For some people it might happen that way, but for others it doesn't. Um, so that's just kind of like something to, to keep in mind, you know, like you don't, don't go in, I guess, to a relationship with Jesus with the expectation that, like, you're just going to to be, I guess, I don't know how to phrase this without saying it in the wrong way. You're just going to do a complete 360 overnight. Like, there's still work to be put in, you know, undoing the the sin of your life and the damage that has been caused by living a sinful life. I mean, for some people, they have that miraculous story where the moment they gave their life to Christ, they're completely 100% done away with any addictions, with any struggles, with any battles in their life. But for most people, and for myself included, I still struggled very much into my relationship with Jesus Almost a year in, I still struggled with an eating disorder. I still struggle with depression. I still struggle with anxiety. I still struggle with suicide. But here I am. I'm made new. And not all stories are going to be the same. Some people are going to, you know, have a shorter period of time in which they they were healed from those things. Other people are going to have a longer period of time. I think it's just dependent on you and your relationship with Jesus and, and stuff like that. But it's just a reminder that, yes, we are made new and in God's eyes, but we might still struggle and it might take time for us to not look like the world anymore <clears throat> and in and, and our earthly flesh fleshly bodies verse 8 now if we died with christ we wait yeah we believe that we will also live with him so in heaven for we know that since christ was raised from the dead he cannot die again death no longer has mastery over him the death he died he died to sin once and for all but the life he lives he lives to god that's an example that he wants us to follow uh let's god Oops, I lost my place. Okay, verse 11. Sorry, guys. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought who have been brought from dead to life and offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. Uh, so being serving in, in, in church, being involved in community, doing things that you feel is offering every part of yourself, all of your talents, all of your gifts, all of your time, all of your efforts to him and everything that you do, 
Uh, For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law. So while we still obey the law because that's the right thing to do, we are no longer bound by the law where if we make a mistake, we cannot be saved or forgiven, but under grace. So here is just a perfect example that we are not, we're not uh, a bound to, to the law. We're not people who have to obey the law in order to be saved. You know, where I was saying the, with, with, uh, where was it? Uh, when you, when you base your righteousness on, on the law, you're basing your righteousness on works. Whereas if you base your righteousness on faith, you're basing your righteousness on, on, on just on what who jesus was and and what he did for us and so therefore our access to the father is dependent on our faith so if we have faith we're gonna have access to to jesus and, and and to god but if we don't have faith then we won't but on the other case like i was saying if you believe that your works is what is going to get you connected to jesus then you're gonna you know you're gonna fall you're gonna struggle so now we're dead to sin uh, this is the second point in week two. We are dead to sin. God didn't intend for our bodily appetites to rule over us. But as long as we're in these bodies, we'll have a struggle with flesh. That's what I was intending to say. We must daily go before God to reckon our old nature did and by faith to claim the victory. We don't have to sin anymore. We now have the choice to yield to the flesh or to God. The fruit of sin is death. The fruit of holiness is eternal life. We're now dead to sin. We're not slaves to sin. We are essentially slaves to God, but I would rather be a slave to God than be a slave to my sin and to my flesh any single day. So now it says slaves to righteousness. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as an obedient slave, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks to thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance you have been set free from sin and have become sins slaves excuse me you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness i'm using this example from everyday life because of your human limitations just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness so now you offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness when you were slaves to sin you were free from the control of righteousness what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of those things result in death but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of god the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life and jesus christ our lord so before we were sins, like I was saying, we were sins to our flesh. We were sins to, I mean, we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to our flesh. Now we were slaves to God. And in the terms that because we believe that Jesus made a sacrifice over our lives, we are now um, indebted to God. And not because we're trying to earn our way 
to a relationship with him or we're trying to to bargain with him or anything simply because now we have the ability to to reach him and to have a connection with him and to have a relationship with him so obviously that's a win-win jesus died for our sins and now we have an eternal connection to god and um an ability to to spend eternity with him and heaven so he's saying just as you were slaves to your sin and you did everything that you know your your flesh desired now when you become a slave to god you have to have that same that same cadence that same um control i guess now instead of doing the things of before you're going to live your life for god and he's saying like live your life for god in the same way that you lived your life for the sin for with for sin like not being ashamed because before you weren't ashamed of your sin so don't be ashamed of having a relationship with god this time you know verse i mean chapter 7 released from the law bound to christ do you not know brothers and sisters for i am speaking to those who know the law that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives for example by law a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive but if her husband dies she is released from the laws that bind her to him so then if she has sexual relationships with another man while her husband is still alive she is called an adulteress but if her husband has died she is released from the law and is no longer an adulteress if she marries another man so my brothers and sisters you also died to the law through the body of christ that you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead let me just pause here really quickly so the example that he's using is that a woman is uh is married but if her husband dies, she's released from that law that binds her to him. But if her husband does not die, then she is she's doing wrong. The reason he uses this is because the church is considered in the Bible to be the bride of Jesus. So in this story, uh, she is married to sin. Essentially, we are married to sin. We are our husband is sin, but. And, and we are bound to it by law because uh, because at the time before Jesus, like we we had no ways to get out of it. Like we couldn't, there was nothing that would that would kill our sin for us. Essentially, that that would uh, make our quote unquote husband die. But when Jesus came, he he died and he resurrected for us. And that way, um, our sin died. So therefore, we were released from the bounds of the law that required us to stay in that quote unquote relationship. And now. We are allowed to marry somebody else. In this case, it would be marrying Jesus. So that's kind of why he used that example, just to show like before you were married to your sin and now that sin has died. So you have the opportunity to be married to Jesus. Uh, picking back up from verse four, where it said raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Verse five, for when we for when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. No longer are we bound by the law, but we are bound by Jesus. The law and sin. Verse 7. What shall we say, then, is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. 
But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, the sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Therefore, sin can take advantage of the law and breaks it to the fullest extent was the thought that I got from that. Verse 10, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the holy, excuse me, through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do or what I want to do. Wait, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is no longer myself, no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. This is something that I feel many Christians face today. We desire to follow Jesus. We desire to be to be clean and holy and set apart from the world for him. But there are times where our flesh will do what it wants and we fall short of the glory of God very often as humans do. And we end up doing the things that we hate, that we wish we didn't do or that we wish we would not because of who Jesus is and because of the 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 sacrifice that he made for our lives and so this is a dilemma that even paul went through paul writing so many books of the bible writing this letter telling people about jesus he had been made new he hunted christians before and now here he is even he struggled with this dilemma so if paul struggled with this dilemma be sure that you are not alone in facing that that sometimes you do the things that you wish you wouldn't but you sometimes find yourself struggling to do the things that you wish you would Verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. For this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But mind and making me a prisoner. Wait. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivered me through Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's saying even he had to be saved and delivered. Like he's not he's not above anybody else. He's not above the law. He's not above anything. Like he himself also struggles with this innate sinful desire that we struggle with every day. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. By his spirit and, and by his desire he is and by faith he is a slave to God's law, but by physical, fleshly, sinful nature we are slave to the law of sin, and therefore we cannot escape it a hundred percent until 
we are um resur- we are ascended with Jesus as well. Chapter 8. Therefore there is no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set by what the spirit desires. That's why it's important that we elevate our thinking, that we elevate our mindset, because when we set our minds on the things of what the the spirit desires, we're going to achieve those things. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, our our fleshly bodies are eventually going to pass. The Spirit gives life because of the righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. So He's going to make us new in spirit on this world, but when we pass, our spirit has a resting place with Him. We're going to um, go to heaven with Him because of our obedience and faithfulness on this earth. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs of God. We are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. If we indeed share in suffering, and if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. That was a lot. But the point he's the point he's making here is once you die to your flesh, you are completely 100% made new. And we we share a uh I guess inheritance in in heaven. We share inheritance in in the things above and so once this flesh of ours passes away we're going to be made new and we're going to be uh, resurrected per se from our fleshly bodies to heaven just as jesus died uh, for our sin we die to our sin and so jesus resurrected from this earth therefore our spirits will resurrect from these bodies as well once we die a uh, present suffering and future glory verse 18 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation. So when Je- when uh, Jesus comes back. For the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, so our bodies, and brought into the freedom of the glory of and the glory of the children of God. So the reason that he we suffer is because God has given us a free will, and with that free will, He wants us to realize that freedom comes from being with Him and not from this world. We know that the creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes in what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes us through our wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So we all have a purpose on earth. Every single one of us was brought with a mission. But because of all the deceit and the malice in this world, not everybody realizes that God has given us a calling and a purpose. How crazy would it be if everybody were to realize their calling on this earth? Everybody. I can't imagine. Continuing, more than conquerors in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who, who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And now, in all these things, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, no any, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing in all creation can ever separate us from his love. And I think that's truly amazing. Let's just cover very quickly the last point of week two before we close out this podcast today. The struggle of the spirit with the flesh. Once freed from the law, we can serve God from the motivation of love. The new covenant we have with God depends upon our belief in his righteousness. The old covenant depended on our righteousness in keeping the law. Only the Christian has this conflict between the flesh and the spirit. The non-Christian lives in harmony with the desires of his flesh, but we Christians are trying to bring our flesh into conformity with the will of God. 
And that concludes today's study. Thank you to everybody who stuck around for week two. I hope I see you guys in week three. And I hope that something from today's Bible study struck a chord in your hearts. That the Spirit may speak to you through the things that we have learned today. Thank you for listening. I'll see you guys next week.